Welcome to The Lead, a podcast about how to get ahead in the news industry from the people who did. I'm your host, Jacqueline Ginnan. Today, I'm talking with Joe Shapiro, an investigations correspondent for NPR. He's worked there for more than 20 years, covering subjects ranging from health to rising court fees to solitary confinement, and he spent most of his career writing stories about disability. In this episode, Joe tells me how he was first drawn to the disability rights beat, how he finds compelling characters for his long-term investigative stories, and how the industry has changed around covering stories about disability. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is produced by the Cox Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership at the University of Georgia's Grady College. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash coxinstitute. Now, here's the lead. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Jacqueline. So you are an investigations correspondent with NPR, um, which means you've done a lot of stories about a lot of different subjects from on-campus sexual assault to solitary confinement to rising court fees. So what is your day-to-day work like doing those longer-term stories? So I have I have the greatest job. It's it's a, just a privileged job. I get to do longer projects. I get to take a fair amount of time to do them. Uh, I come up with my own ideas. Day to day, I do a lot of reporting. I am trying to find uh, good ways to tell a story. So you mentioned the series we did on on the rising cost of the court fines and fees and the idea that these were uh, placed on people who go through the, the criminal justice system. So states are not adequately funding the criminal justice system, and it's been this way for 40-plus years since we've had the rise in mass incarceration and the courts being more crowded. And what states tend to do is they come up with fines and fees and they charge the people who go through the court system, who tend to be very poor people, impoverished people. And then if they don't pay these fines and fees, they can be uh, arrested for not paying a, a, a court fine. So how do you tell that story? And, and I spent a lot of time trying to find good cases. It took a long time, but I I found a army veteran who came back from uh, Afghanistan, I think it was, and he was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He was homeless. He didn't have, he was living out of his car. So he got arrested for being in this abandoned building. He was drinking with his buddies and he owed money to the court and he was summoned to court, and it was that—that that was the week that he just got this job, this good job. He's about to get his first paycheck. Um, he was on his way, and the judge insisted, "No, you pay up today, or you're gone." It wasn't a lot of money, but he, he didn't have any money, and the judge put him in jail for not paying this court fine. And he spent weeks in jail, but what that meant was he lost his new job. So that's a really compelling story. Another one was the story of a man, a homeless man. He swiped a can of beer from a convenience store and ended up uh, sentenced to a year in, in jail for that, right? He, he took a, a can of beer worth $1.29. How did he get, wait, wait how, so, so, I, so you know, finding that story, that was such a great story, great way to tell this. How do you end up in jail for a, a year for stealing a can of beer that's worth $1.29? So, so the point is I spent a lot of time, a lot of investment in finding the right stories to make things memorable. So that's what a lot of my time is spent doing, coming up with good ideas. Sometimes you get a good tip, somebody calls you up and and um, and, and you hear a story that you can, uh, you know, sometimes the stories fall in your lap. But a lot of my time is spent trying to find a good way of telling a story and then doing a lot of reporting to really understand something well so I can tell it with authority. Yeah, I love that you mentioned finding those people to serve as characters to really anchor the story. That's, you know, one of the things 
I've learned in my classes is yeah. like you can have all the information and like the stats, but you need a human face to really like put it onto. Right. And particularly in radio, right? Audio is so, you hear the person's voice. It's so much more uh, evocative than, than I, I, I was a print reporter before I started in radio. I love radio. I love hearing somebody's voice. So, it's, so you have to have somebody's voice to really make it memorable. And you have the, the right person who can tell their story. So that can be hard in, in doing investigative stories. Often investigative reporters use a lot of numbers. In radio, you can't. It gets, uh, you, you, you can't lose the listener. They're listening, and if something confuses them and goes by, then, the, then they'll tune out. So you can't use, you have to be careful about how you use numbers. It has to be clear. You can't use too many. So the voice is, is so key, and the personal story, the compelling story that makes a listener say, what? That's, that's ridiculous. What? A, a, for a can of beer, he's in, in jail for a, a year? And I think that just goes to show the importance of these investigative pieces that you're doing is, you know, shining a light on these big societal problems. That's what we try to do. You mentioned what I was going to ask next was you did work in print. You worked at U.S. News and World Report before right. NPR, but now you've been at NPR for more than 20 years. That's right. So yeah. what first drew you to audio and what do you like about it? Well, I have to confess that I wasn't, I didn't want to do audio. I resisted when NPR... Uh, this visionary founder of the, this wonderful science desk they have at NPR named Ann Gudenkoff. And, and one of her deputies at the time, Sue Goodwin, sort of found me and asked me if I would be interested in doing radio. And I said, nah, I love print. I don't think I want to give up print for radio. And they kept at me, and uh, thankfully so. So uh, I wasn't sure I was going to like audio. I, I was so, I had a great job at US News. But um, I really like the idea that you get people's voices. You hear so much in somebody's voice, and then sound is really interesting. And it's a whole different way of writing. You have to you write something around the best sound. You need good sound. You have to keep somebody's attention. Things that are, that are interesting, voices that are interesting, um, sound that's interesting. And, and you can't go jump. It's not like a print piece where you can quote somebody and go somewhere else and then bring that first person back later. You, it's, it's a more linear. Uh, you have one person in this section, then you go to another section. It's a very different kind of writing, and, and, but I really loved it. I, I really enjoyed doing audio, and uh, it's a different kind of writing. It's, a lot, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I really liked learning you know, to work around tape and those the, the emotion that you get in audio and video is just so, so deep and intense and it's right. wonderful and then like you said writing the same story audio and then for digital you use completely different quotes which i found was so interesting so it's really it's such a unique you know form right and some people at npr start by writing something for our, our website npr.org so they're doing a print story first and some people like me my, my focus is all on the audio so i mean even the way i report a, a radio piece will be different than the way i do a, a a print piece, just different facts, different things you're looking for, different sounds, just different conventions. And, and so even the reporting is a little bit different. Interesting that you didn't originally want to do it because you've been at it for so long. I know. Well, it's, it, it was, I, I was glad that uh, my former bosses, Ann and Sue, kept at me. You know, I, sometimes things fall in your, sort of come your way and, and you get chances and, and, and maybe I was uh, scared to take a chance and do something totally new and to do radio. And um, so maybe it, took, maybe it took a little bit of 
faith or courage or something to do something totally new. I'd been at U.S. News and World Report for 19 years. Um, U.S. News and World Report was you know, a weekly news magazine. We, uh, we, we were doing stories every week. I, I also did cover stories and projects, so I, I had, wasn't always on a, a, a weekly deadline. But um, with, with sort of the um, loss of print, I mean, that magazine doesn't, it doesn't exist as a print magazine anymore. It, it fell apart pretty soon after I left in 2001, uh, not because of me, but it was but because of what was going on in, in the media world. And so I don't know what I'd be doing if I hadn't tried to go to radio. I, I hit audio at just the, a great time, and um, listenership was rising at NPR, and I had great opportunities, but so sometimes you don't know. You get you, I, I didn't I never expected to go to U.S. News World Report. I I didn't read it. I didn't know it. But I a job came up, and I wanted to cover Congress. They hired me to cover Congress. Then I did the White House. I went to U.S. News because I wanted to be a foreign correspondent. I wanted to go to Rome, Italy, where I'd lived briefly before my first job out of graduate school. And um, and I knew they had lots of bureaus. I went to Italy for a while and. Then they closed that bureau. I came back. I had been a politics writer. But I think somebody who has a lot of curiosity, I think you can find lots of good stories in lots of different beats. And and so sometimes you just try something, right? Maybe you know somebody thinks, eh, business, I'm not interested in covering business. But you, you get on a business beat and you f- might find something that, you know, that, that's really interesting and surprising. So a place where you can go and learn and have good teachers, good editors, uh, places that give you a chance to try things you want to do. If you want to be a reporter, a place where you can report. Maybe you know you think you want to be a foreign correspondent, but you get a chance to be a business writer. Well, if it's at a good place, doing uh, business writing, you'll get good experience. You'll find things to do, and and the experience of sort of learning the journalism. Yeah, I think that's great advice to say yes to things and especially things that might scare you because those tend to be the things that you grow the most. So over your time at NPR and even before then, you've done a lot of work covering disability. Yeah. So I'm interested what first drew you to that beat? So again, this is one of these accidents. This is what's great about reporting, right? You do a story and one story leads to another or you do something that you know nothing about and then you find it really interesting. So I came back from Rome uh, as the Rome bureau chief. They shut down my bureau. That was a disappointment. That was a career disappointment because I thought I was going to be a foreign correspondent for a long time. I came back. I've been covering politics. Now other people were covering politics. I did it for a bit. Uh, and then I was offered, well, how about trying something on the social policy beat, which, again, wasn't my choice, but it was offered to me. And I said, okay, I'm sort of interested in those things. And, and what was hard was that we, U.S. News had two terrific, really terrific reporters already doing social policy. So there wasn't much for me to do in those sort of traditional areas of social policy. So I was looking for other things I could do. I uh, did a lot on children and families and urban affairs and different things. And one day, a PR person for the MS Society called me up and said it was some story that was, wasn't something I could do for a national magazine. So I told the, the press person, I said, well, nah, that's not something I can do. But, you know, this is the type of thing I can do. And if you ever come up with something that's a little more national in scope and maybe more policy, maybe I can do it. And I think about a month later, she called me up and she said, hey, by the way, there are a bunch of appointees appointed by Ronald Reagan to a disability panel, and they're coming up with this wild thing called the Americans with Disabilities Act. They're drafting this new law that says disability is not a health problem, it's a civil rights issue. And that, you know, and that was a really, 19, this is 1987. 
And that was a pretty radical idea. I mean, a lot of some you know disabled people saw their issues as, as an issue of rights. The problem isn't that I can't walk. The problem is that society hasn't ad- adapted to what I need to uh, succeed. But for the rest of the world, the idea of what a disability civil rights movement that was, people didn't know about that. That didn't was there weren't a lot of uh, things that caught people's attention. It didn't wasn't um, uh, covered. So that was strange. So I went to this meeting where these people proposed this new civil rights bill, the Americans with Disabilities Act. The next year, members of the Senate, largely Senate Democrats, rewrote it and uh, came up with a version that, that eventually passed in 1990. And that's what, that's what got me going. And by the way, the first story I did, my magazine wouldn't even print it. They said, oh, this is what? A civil rights? Well, there's no, what is this? Disability civil rights? That's, uh, no, we, nobody had heard of that. It seems so fringy and, and inconsequential that they wouldn't run my story. But, it, but I got interested in it. I kept going. So the point is, there. I guess, the, so what are the lessons there? Sometimes you get the, the PR person who who's, comes up with an idea that uh, they want you to cover that's not such a good one, Maybe, but you've got the contact, and maybe you say to them, hey, you know, that's not what I want, but I could do this, and they're looking out for you, and they come back with an idea. So when you first started covering this, you couldn't even get your first story published, which is crazy, because now news outlets are treating disability like a beat that needs to be covered. Some of them even have disability beat writers. So can you talk about how the industry has changed since you first started covering disability? Now, today, and uh, as we're talking, we have a whole, just in the last couple of years, we have a whole new generation of journalists with disabilities or uh, open about having disabilities, writing about disability. And for the first time, uh, publications are hiring people specifically to do a disability beat. Sarah Luderman, an autistic journalist at the 19th, uh, does a great job. Eric Garcia, also autistic at The Independent. Uh, Amanda Morris, the, and now the Washington Post has her own disability reporter, Amanda Morris, who uh, uses hearing aids and is the child of deaf parents. She was the first New York Times fellow to cover disability. They have these fellowships, and they've started something to cover disability. So that's all new. That's all since 2020 uh, and, and the sort of the thinking about diversity and equity and inclusion uh, people with disabilities demanded that their voice be heard in that discussion. And and because of their advocacy, we're starting to see journalism change and starting to cover disability in, in ways that is so different from the way I was covering it 30 years ago uh, when I had trouble getting stories in about disability civil rights. They, they've, uh, they're changing things. And so that's that's really exciting for me. Yeah, so like you mentioned in the past, this hasn't been a beat with a lot of writers or that editors maybe always took seriously, but back in the early 90s, you wrote a book about the disability rights movement. How did that project come about, and how did it impact your career? I was so interested in the disability civil rights movement. I took a year off um, with with a, a small stipend to, uh, a fellowship from the Alicia Patterson Foundation to write about the disability rights movement. I wrote a book called No Pity, People with Disabilities, Forging a New Civil Rights Movement. And that came out uh, 30 years ago. It's still in print and still used in, in, in uh, uh, people still read it and read it in disability studies classes. Uh, it's, it's got some history of the disability civil rights movement in there. Um, 
I've been writing about disability ever since. It's, it's what brought me to the attention of NPR was my disability coverage. Uh, NPR, my, my, those first bosses um, dispatched me for a year in 2005 to write about soldiers and Marines coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan to write about the, the uh, physical and, and psychiatric wounds of war, the, the visible and in, invisible wounds of war. So that's, that was a year of disability reporting about the wars in Iraq and the wars in Afghanistan. There's, I, I always said there's a disability aspect to any beat, whether it's sports, whether it's um, the mental health tolls on, 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 on the women tennis players who have been very open about it. So maybe it's head injuries in football. That's a disability story. There are disability angles to, to education. There's, right, there's disability aspects to housing and politics and, uh, and just any beat that you can imagine. What advice do you have? You've already mentioned some great pieces of advice for aspiring journalists, but maybe specifically those who are going to be writing these stories about disability because, like you said, it impacts so many things. Yeah. What advice do you have for aspiring reporters? Right. And by the way, you don't have to be a person with a disability to write about it, but people with disabilities, I mean, representation always matters in, in journalism, so they, they will have an understanding of, of it and might have an interest. But, but uh, you know, we don't want to have just uh, only people with disabilities writing about disability, and we don't want uh, journalists with disability being expected just to write about disability. So what should they do? Well, um, I, I always say how to write about disability. Often they're, they're seen as childlike. So if you're a journalist, you treat them like a resp with respect, just like you would anyone else. And, and I also, I, we, we had this discussion, I've said don't be afraid of covering disability. It's a little confusing and it's a little scary because the language keeps changing and you're not sure what, what words to use. You don't want to insult people. But if you're respectful and straightforward, that people appreciate that. And and uh, you can ask people, uh, autistic journalists, sometimes people want to be called a person with autism. Uh, they, and so, so I think journalists get scared because you don't want to say the wrong thing and the language is always changing. So at the Arizona State University Cronkite School of Journalism, they have the uh, National Center on Disability and Journalism. And they do a terrific style guide that so anyone that I often refer people at NPR to it and, and we have our own style guide at NPR about disability. But but if people are confused about what language to use, it's just to click away this style guide about the kind of language people with disabilities want. So so it's tricky and, and people are afraid to say the wrong thing and they're afraid that they'll uh, insult somebody. And so sometimes they're worried about uh, covering disability and I say, dive in, don't worry, it's interesting. And, and people with disabilities have been my great teachers, and I think they appreciate when journalists take them seriously and want to do stories about them, and they'll guide you. Yeah, that is wonderful advice. I definitely, I agree, it seems kind of scary. You don't want to do the wrong thing, like you want to right. do this work for a positive reason, but if you just ask people, they'll, they'll tell you. Right. So thank you so much, Joe, okay. for joining me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Okay. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you again to Joe for joining me on this episode, and thank you for tuning in to The Lead. I'm your host, Jacqueline Ganun. Our executive producer is Charlotte Barnum, and the show is supported by the Cox Institute. To keep up with The Lead and hear more from media leaders, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to follow us on X, formerly Twitter. We're at The Lead Podcast. See you next time. <laughs>